So really quickly, we're in a series on Sunday morning called Categories of Christian Teaching. Um, we had two messages on that, and then last week we made a transition to a practical application, Christian teaching on alcohol. But, are you glad that they made noise in the Alright, so they're shouting in the temple. That's a good sound to have. Even if they were to stay here um, and make all kinds of noise, I guess that would be alright because they would be happy. Alright, so uh, along with this then, last week we saw that Scripture is sufficient, uh, knowing that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for instruction, for correction, for teaching in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. So we're using the Bible here this morning as the basis of what we are sharing. This is not something that pastor makes up. We're pulling this right out of the scripture. Alright, so then a review last week, we looked at the clear biblical teaching on alcohol. Ephesians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 18 says, And do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, we looked at um, that verse, and then we looked at a couple of other passages, and Timothy will get there in just a minute. But Proverbs chapter 23, verse 31, Solomon told his son not to look upon the wine when it is red. Now, he's not forbidding that you actually see wine. Uh, what we looked at in 1 Timothy 3, verses 3 and 8, and Titus chapter 2 and verse 3 is a mental preoccupation with wine. Fascination with it. In other words, it's your hobby, it's something that lingers long in your life. So, very clearly, then, uh, addiction to alcohol is forbidden. Drunkenness is forbidden. Every sin has its origin in the heart. Would you say that with me? Every sin has its origin in the heart. And so sometimes the, the reality is that people become addicted to alcohol and it becomes something that they cannot live without. And uh, some people actually get to the point where they're not able to function anymore. They become what we call a non-functioning addict. And so the biblical attitude that we read in Psalm 104 verse 15 uh, was that of not loving it for the experience of feeling the euphoric sensation that we get from alcohol. That's why, if, if that's why you drink, you shouldn't drink. Alright? You don't go to it for the euphoric feeling. That's the, the attitude that God says is not right. Uh, but Psalm 104, verse 15, it talks about wine gladdening the heart of man. What that means is that we should be satisfied in the basic provisions of life. Along with that uh, verse, if you look in context, it talked about God sending rain to satisfy the earth. And when it has rain, then the earth is satisfied and it brings forth its crops for the service of man. And then it goes to talk about God giving oil and wine to men. And it gladdens our heart. Our basic provisions are satisfied. And so we take satisfaction in God, not in alcohol. Alright, now today we're going to uh, add to this a little bit. Some of you, this might be completely new to you. That there's actually something positive in the Bible about wine or alcohol. And we're going to look at several passages. 
and they are symbolic of spiritual realities, the blessings of being saved. So let's start out with a, a couple of passages here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. Matthew 9, 16 and 17, uh, the Lord is in a confrontation with the religious leaders of his day, and he tells them that the way that they're pursuing God uh, with their religious structure, it's not going to hold his teachings. He's not going to be able to use them, because what he offers is so much more vibrant and alive and living than what they have to offer so Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, Jesus teaches this. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up uh, taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Verse 17. Neither do men put new wine in old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine uh, runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine in new bottles, and both are preserved. All right now, the concept of bottles there to us has kind of a glass container image. Um, but for their day and age, it wasn't glass. Uh, it was animal bladders or skins. And as they put wine into those skins, they had to leave room for the fermentation process uh, and the gases to expand. So that there was room for that material to stretch it. And so if you were to take an old skin from the previous year and try to reuse it, well, it had stretched out and it was no longer elastic. And so you go ahead and you fill it, and then the fermentation process is going to just burst that skin wide open and it's not going to hold the line. So Jesus is saying, my teaching is far superior to the Pharisaic teaching of the way of living, is far superior to Judaism, that you cannot put Christian teaching, which is like new wine, in the old system, because it's going to burst and it would not work. And so that's why today we have church instead of synagogue. And we have grace instead of law. Because what Christ taught cannot be contained within Judaism. It's not sufficient. So this is a spiritual reality. And so this is Christ answering the Pharisees. All right, now you see another reference here. Let's go over to chapter 26, verses 27 and 28. Now you're familiar with, with this one because we're there at least once a month when we do the Lord's table. All right, in Matthew chapter 26, uh, verses 27 and 28. Now, if you don't mind, I'm just going to occasionally back the slide up and then advance it again. I'm afraid that thing's going to go to sleep on me. I'm going to have to walk down and get my password. And, yeah. All right, so we'll just do it simple. Matthew chapter 26, verses uh, 27 and 28. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. 
So what did the wine in the cup represent? His blood. Now, this is wine. Don't think that this is grape juice. Okay. Why do we know that it's wine? Well, because this is most likely March or April. Wine is harvested in the fall. That's six months previous, four months previous. The wine has gone through the fermentation, or the grape juice has gone through the fermentation process. And it is at least 14% alcohol. And so the Lord is here drinking wine, not just grape juice. All right? And so this is a spiritual reality. Uh, there's a symbolism here that this is representing his blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, they're, they're celebrating Passover, um, where they were to slay the animal and to apply its blood upon the door. And um, then they were also to uh, not, well, they were supposed to eat in haste, and they were to also have unleavened bread that went with that ceremony. And so this is what's taking place in Matthew 26. Is this a Jewish holiday, holy day, their Passover day. And Jesus is taking the elements of that Jewish dinner, and he's putting new meaning that. He's saying the Passover, that was the old way to look at it. Now here's the new way to look at it. The unleavened bread is like my body. My life is without sin. It's broken for you. My blood is like the wine. Um, it was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And so it's a picture of salvation. Jesus said this is shed for the forgiveness of sins, the remission of sins for many people. All right, now let's go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Now, I remember reading a story about a man by the name of George Mueller. Anybody know who George Mueller is or was? All right. He ran an orphanage in Bristol, England. And uh, one morning... They woke the children up and told them it was time to come down for breakfast. And there was nothing to eat. And he's like, I don't know how God's going to provide, but I know that God is going to provide. So we're going to ask the blessing. Well, as they asked the blessing on their breakfast, Peter Pan style, you know, that imaginary food, there was a knock at the door. And as they opened the door, there was a milkman. His horse had gone lame right in front of the orphanage. And he said, I am not going to be able to finish the route. All of this is going to spoil could the orphanage use it. You see how God answers and God provides? Well, can you imagine if today a taco truck pulled up <laughs> and breaks down and they come in and say, hey, you know what? I, I know Baptists love to eat. Are you guys scheduled to have a potluck today? No, that's tomorrow. Okay. And uh, so we're having three hamburgers and hot dogs on us tomorrow. We'll sign up list in the lobby. But uh, could you use, you know, could I just go ahead and open up my, my taco truck and serve your church today? How many of you would stay for something free? Uh, yeah, quite a few of you would stay for free. That's what's going on here in Isaiah 55. There's a street vendor 
And he's being portrayed as walking around saying, It's free today! It's free! Come and drink! Come and eat all you want! It's on me! Alright, if you're thirsty, come and drink! And so this is what he says, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy, and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So, the street vendor is giving an invitation. It doesn't have a price. It's free. And we all like free things. But there is somebody who did pay for the overhead in the passage. It would cost the street vendor to give it away for free. And why it's free, salvation is free to you and me, it costs God his son. And his invitation is simply, come. And so wine is mentioned here in Isaiah 55, verse 1, as the freeness of salvation and the satisfaction that salvation brings. So it's a beautiful picture of the provision of God giving to us salvation without a price. So this is why we cannot earn heaven. Our religious merit has no part in securing a place in heaven for us. Only faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he did for you and me is free to us. All we have to do is accept the invitation. Isn't that beautiful? But now, it did cost the street vendor something, and it did cost God something, and that is his son. And so he talks about satisfaction in verse 2. Why therefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. So the spiritual reality of the satisfaction that Jesus Christ brings into our life when we are forgiven sinners. Jesus satisfies. And when we have Jesus, we have all we need. And that's the reality that wine portrays here in this particular passage. Alright, now let's go over to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. You know what events taking place here in John chapter 2? A wedding. All you ladies should be excited to hear the word wedding. Alright? In John chapter 2, the marriage at Cana, the first miracle that Jesus Christ did. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there also about six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three first skins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not uh, whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. 
the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother, and his brethren, and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. So Jesus is at a wedding, and the wedding is going well. And I don't know, maybe this is, their weddings lasted for days. And so maybe Mary was in charge of the reception. And the servants come in and say, Mary, we need more wine for the table. And she says, uh, there isn't any more. And so then it pops into her mind, well, my son could probably do something about this. So she approaches Jesus, and he's like, Mom, I don't have the same thing in mind here that you do. All right? My purpose is not your purpose in all of this. What do I have to do with you? All right? So he's not being disrespectful by saying woman. All right? Is to say, I don't have the same objective here as you. And so she's like, okay, whatever he tells you to do, just go ahead and do it. I'm excited, mom. Right? <laughs> just simply trusting in Jesus. So these six water pots, what are they used for? What does the text tell us? <laughs> Purifying after the manner of Jews. So when the wedding guests came in, this, these were the water pots that were used to wash hands and feet. That's probably why they're empty. Right? And so, once again, you see that they're being, the Jews are being very careful to observe um, the, the Pharisaic traditions of washing hands and feet and so forth. And so, Jesus says, fill up the water pots and fill them to the full. I'm not sure what precise measurement is, but I think each pot was around 30 gallons. Okay? There's a lot of wine that's being served. And so Jesus says, take the first cup to the governor, the MC, all right? And give it to him. And he tastes it, and he's delighted. And he's so happy for the wine in the room that he wants to compliment the groom. He calls the groom in. Good job, right? This is this is a neat way to. I've never seen this at a wedding before. You've done something really neat here, and so you've put out the best wine now. What kind of wine? The best. And you're saying, now wait a minute, Pastor. Are you saying that God made an alcoholic beverage? Well, did God create grapes? Yes, He did. You know, the responsibility is not on God. How we handle that, that's on us. And we have clear direction. Don't be drunk. Don't be preoccupied with it. Don't become mad. All right? That's the responsibility that's on us. And so yes, Jesus made wine. So even if it's diluted with water, is it possible for them to get drunk? Yeah. Might take them longer to do it, but they could still get drunk. So Jesus is doing this and he's honoring marriage. 
And we know that Mary is a picture of the gospel. But he's doing this so people will believe on him. Uh, we see that at the end of verses 11 and 12, that his disciples believed on him because of the miracles. So this is symbolic of a spiritual reality of belief in Christ. He did the miracle. Mary's objective was the bride and groom for them. They're going to be embarrassed today. But that's not why Jesus did the miracle. Jesus did the miracle so that God would be glorified. So symbols of spiritual realities. All right, now let's go back to Ephesians 5.18. And so that verse uh, is on the previous slide. Do not be what? Drunk with wine. Now, what is the counter solution to drunkenness according to Ephesians 5.18? To be filled with the Spirit. Now, we know what DUI stands for, driving under the influence, all right? But under the influence of alcohol, God does not want us there. God wants us to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are an empty vessel. And you're to pump yourself so full of the Holy Spirit that you can't possibly be filled anymore. It's in the ongoing sense in the Greek. He being filled with the Spirit of God. This is what God wants. So, God created alcohol. But it's man's responsibility not to abuse the gift. Be satisfied in the giver of the gift, not in the gift itself. Remember, there's beauty in what it pictures. And the way that the world uses alcohol doesn't portray the gospel. And so, be filled with the Spirit of God. So, the, the terminology there, if you have a negative, don't be drunken under the influence of wine, which is dissipation of your excess. Be then, on the positive side, filled with the Spirit of God. How are you filled with the Spirit of God? Well... There's interesting things there in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, sing and make melody in your heart. Uh, spiritual songs and hymns. Part of our song service. When you come in, you ought to ask the Holy Spirit to help you sing. That's one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit. But how do you get filled with the Spirit of God? Well, by being in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God is the author of of this book. And so how do you fill yourself up? Well, if you go to the gas station, you know how to fill your tank up. You pull up to the pump. And you put the pump, then the handle, the nozzle in your car, and you start filling up. Well, fill up every day in the Word of God. If you're a new Christian, keep it simple. Read Proverbs chapter 1 on the 1st of June, Proverbs 2 on the 2nd of June, Proverbs 3 on the 3rd of June, so forth. Uh, some people can read a chapter from the gospel. Some can read a chapter from the Proverbs each day, then from the Old Testament. Listen, there, there's something that we can do to put the Word of God into us. I mean, most of us are carrying a smartphone. So let's let it really be smart and open up the Word of God for us every day and read the Word of God to us. 
Uh, listen to your audio Bibles for readings. Right? So I just finished the book of Revelation for the first uh, fifth time this year. And I thought, maybe I need a break. So I'm in now going through a series on my phone. as a little program set up to go through 1st and 2nd Corinthians uh, in the next month. And so I've just been in Corinthians the last couple of days. And I've been just blessed by being in the Word of God. Um, we have been given the Spirit of God to understand the things about This is a great blessing that we've been given the Spirit of God. So be being filled with the Spirit of God. Have so much of the Spirit in your life. Um, Fred was a man from the Ozarks that moved out to California. You know what they call those people? Okies, all right, from the Ozarks. And uh, he said to me one Sunday morning, he said, Pastor, I said, why are so full of the Holy Spirit of God that the skier goes away singing and there's power in the blood? <laughs> and so it's like, look, that's the way it should be. People should have the evidence in your life that you're a spirit-filled Christian. Which is filled with that heart. Now, you know for the last two weeks that pastor's been trying to spit something out to you. Alright, so here we go. Let's make then a practical change, a suggested change. And this is what the deacons have asked and the pastor have asked of you. So here's the next slide. I'll give you just a moment to, to read through that. It says, since the Bible does not prohibit the use of alcohol, only its abuse... We make a recommendation to amend our bylaws at section 6.03, eligibility for office. From the current reading, which says a church member who partakes of alcohol, alcoholic beverages, uses tobacco and or illegal drugs or is involved with substance abuse in some fashion may not serve in any office of the church to the following. A church member who abuses alcoholic beverage uses tobacco and or uses illegal drugs or is involved with substance abuse in some fashion may not serve in any office of the church. So, from partakes of to abuses. In so doing, we believe that we're moving from a realm of logical conclusions to the realm of clear biblical teaching. Now, we don't have to make this change. As a matter of fact, we're not sitting for having it in here. There are some people who say that you're sitting if you forbid alcohol. There's many passages in the Bible where people were forbidden to partake of alcohol. A Nazarite was forbidden to do that. When a king came into office, he was still saying. The priest when he was to go into the tabernacle to minister before the Lord, could not do that. The Rechabites in the Old Testament were praised for their devotion to God and their obedience to a human father who for 200 years their family kept that family up that they would not drink. So I'm going to tell you as a pastor, I'm not trying to say to anybody in the church, drink. No. That's not what we're saying. And I'm going to tell you that I have never tasted alcohol in my life. And I don't think I ever will. Why? Well, because I don't want to take a chance on violating the biblical command 
And then, because of my family history, there was my grandfather was an alcoholic. And I don't know. Maybe there is such a thing as a genetic predisposition to alcohol abuse. And I don't want to take that chance in my life. And 10% of people who start drinking end up addicted. And so I just personally don't think that alcohol abuse is wise. But that's my personal opinion. And so that goes over into that far right-hand column that we call opinions. Remember that? And so that has no binding upon me what my opinion is. What is very clear is that we're never supposed to be drunk. We're never supposed to be in addiction. Uh, Titus chapter 2 passage talked about the, the deaconesses or the elderly <coughs> women in the church that are mentoring. They're not supposed to be slaves to wine. Uh, the deacons were not to be given, and the pastor not to be given to wine. And so it's very clearly, addiction is very clearly, and drunkenness is very clearly stated as the abuse. So that's why we made the change that we did. And that's what we've been trying to sit out. And so we're going to invite you to a conversation. So we're not coming from the top down and saying, this has to happen. That's not what we're saying. So if we need to come together and have a conversation, then we're going to provide an opportunity to do that. And our motivation for this is to bring it in line with what Scripture has to say from a logical conclusion. And though I know that so many of us hold to this strongly, to a very clearly biblical statement of what the Bible says. And so today, let's rejoice in our salvation. That God the Father purchased our salvation. He offers it to us without cost. That the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for our sins. And these are wonderful things for us to meditate upon today as we walk away from this place. Let's close in prayer.